Damn, Chief's making their fucking rounds. Well, yes, he is. How you think he got elected, ma'am? Put his ballot in every ballot box in town, if you know what I'm saying. Yeehaw. Two bitches, yeah, two bitches, two bitches, just watching TV. <laughs> Bitch. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Bitch Watch. Yeah, welcome. Or welcome back. Your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still self-conscious about it every time. While we're at it, love you. I hope you guys are having a good day. I hope no one's uh, experiencing the headache from hell that I'm feeling, because it's next yeah. level. Yeah, caffeine headache. Yeah. I don't really like oh. to complain about headaches anymore, since I got that f- headache with, what, my first Pfizer shot that was so bad. Oh. That one is legitimately the worst headache I've ever had in my entire life, and so I don't like to complain about headaches since I had that one, but... Yeah, I get really bad headaches after my infusions. Yeah. But that's just a whole other thing. So we had a little adventure this past weekend that got a little bit too adventurous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's... I, I'll very quickly get us to where we need to get for this story. So mm-hmm. uh, my birthday was a few weeks ago as of recording. And Uh for my birthday, my husband decided to, it wasn't really, it was a surprise because he had already booked it, but he told me ahead of time that we were going to go do this. He was going to take me kayaking Uh for the first time my entire life. Uh And I was so excited because I've wanted to kayak for a long time. Like this was just something I really wanted to do. So we went the day after my birthday and we kayaked for a couple hours, but just on a lake. No current, just calm waters. I was like, wow, like. This is fun. I really like this. I like this more than mountain biking because, well, we've already discussed my love, love for mountain biking. And it gives my husband and I a different activity to do outside, you know, since he is so gung-ho about mountain biking and I'm not. Yeah. You went on a float trip this summer and had a bunch of fun. Like, you went on tubes. Yeah, Yeah, I, I do a float trip about every summer, except for last year because, you know, panini but yeah so i know i know what's up and with float trips you were wanting to go on another one uh another float and brian and i had wanted to get out on the water again and he goes hey like why don't we go down to this river and yeah just go ahead and invite her like when we'll all meet up and it'll be a good time i'm like all right cool so you and i made the arrangements of what, what time we were going to meet up and what we were going to rent and the plan was that brian and i were going to rent a canoe and that you were going to rent oh. a kayak and if you got tired you and i were going to swap out and you were going to sit in the front of the canoe and i would take over the kayak for a little bit yep after about eight miles i was like all right i don't want to kill myself you know mm-hmm. i don't want to be too sore because you know i am a disabled person it mm-hmm. is what it is. And so I was proud of myself that I tapped out and I said, hey, if we're going to do another, what, how many miles? Seven. Seven, Seven miles, then I need to switch. Mm-hmm. Like, I was fine, but I could feel myself getting very tired. I mean, even if you're not disabled, kayaking, it isn't something that you mm-hmm. do regularly. Like, you said it was the first time you'd been in three years, so. Yeah, and I before that, I had only, like, done part of a float trip, maybe a couple miles. Mm-hmm. So, like, nothing like what this undertaking was. <laughs> Yeah, the first eight miles of this flow trip were like a lazy river at a water park. So yeah. calm, so no, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to think about besides Mm-mm. let's look at how pretty the scenery is. Mm-hmm. You know, we're rocking and we're rolling. <laughs> and the way this river place worked is, is you go for eight miles or you go for the full 15, but you can get off at the eight or you continue mm-hmm. to go. But there's no other like, oh, we just want to exit now. We make it to the first, I'll say checkpoint, or if we were just going to leave at eight miles. And all three of us were like, no, we feel great. Like my husband was starting to complain a little bit that he was getting sunburned. But as far as wanting to be on the water, you're like, yeah, we want to keep going. Yeah, because yeah, you had been on the front. And so that's why I didn't feel bad about, you know, asking 
you to kayak. Right. Plus, the the again, way. that was the whole plan. So yeah. we got on the water at 830. Do you remember what time it was that we stopped for lunch and swapped? So it was about noon. About noon or one. Yeah, noon or one. That's right. Because we finished the eight mile and you had to be done with the eight mile by 1.30. And we were like a little ahead. Mm-hmm. We were making good time. And everything's feeling great. We'll just swap over. Well, what we didn't know is the next seven miles of this river is the seven miles from hell. Which, to be fair, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Like, I've been in worse. Right. But <laughs> but for someone who was not prepared for it, right. it is the seven miles from hell. Yeah. I mean, I've only kayaked the one time. It had been a long time for you. Brian's manhandling a canoe basically by himself because that was his whole yeah. macho thing that he wanted to do was he mm-hmm. wanted to handle the canoe unless he was stuck in a current. Then he only needed the person in the front to help paddle while he was steering. Mm-hmm. Within the first eight miles, it was about, I'd say halfway through. There was a little current and there was a tree. We were too close to each other, mm-hmm. which. I knew better than to be that close to another boat, even from tubing, which is also why I was ready to bail. So there was an incident where there was a current and then a limb that started to flip the kayak. And so I just like slid out over the edge and then just like went under because the two boats collided and clapped. I think even Brian thought I hit my head, but no, I dodged it. Brian was convinced you'd hit your head. No, I did not. I saw it coming and so I just stayed under. Mm -hmm. This ain't my first rodeo. Right. (laughs) So anyways, we pull over. You get my shit. I get back in the kayak. All's good. We go the rest of the way. No incident. You hear me yell at Brian, make sure she's not bleeding. (laughs) Which I have a bruise on my arm from where I hit the limb when I slipped out, but I was just trying to prevent the kayak from actually flipping and losing my stuff. Yeah. You did lose your grapes. I did lose my grapes. Sorry, environment. When we switched, I was sitting on the front of the canoe. I was having a good time. I was letting my like tan over my feet, you know, even out because I've been wearing water socks. Mm Mm-hmm. Me and Brian are just talking up a storm. And then we passed you. I hit a bit of shallow and I was recorrecting and you guys passed me. And then all of a sudden I just hear bloop. (laughs) Splash. And I was like, ah, shit, she flipped. Brian's like, shit, paddle, paddle, (laughs) paddle. And so I take the canoe and pull it up onto the side while he goes and gets you. Mm -hmm. Is that where I lost my shirt? (laughs) You lost your shirt there. Let's just start this off with Witsy went in with a shirt, glasses, and a hat. Yeah. <laughs> she came out with none of those things. <laughs> wow, I lost those in steps. I didn't lose them all at once. You so, did. And, you did. And, and just because I realized how like insane that sounds, I was wearing a sports bra top and I had my yeah. shirt draped over my legs to yeah. prevent a, an intense sunburn. So it wasn't like I flipped over and my shirt left my whole body. Yeah, no. This was very minor. This was just like... I bumped a tree and I like slipped over. That's your problem is you kept hitting trees. Mm-hmm. Get you back in the kayak. We're all good. We keep going. Well, you flip again. <laughs> but again, very minor. You get back in it. You got stuck in like shallow a little bit a couple times. Yeah. The second one I flipped over. And yeah. so I flipped some bitch back over and I hoist my fat ass up inside of it by myself. <laughs> it is chock full of water to the top, but I'm just floating down. There's a picture of me flipping you guys off yeah. as I just float by because yeah. I'm laying on top of my paddle. Then is when shit hits the fan yeah if you want to tell it from your perspective that's fine or i can tell it from mine because i saw you go between the second flip and the third flip we hit another pretty decent stretch of calm and there was a little while where i was paddling not way ahead of you guys but there was some distance i couldn't hear the music anymore because i was oh yeah because i was doing pretty good ways i was doing well yeah until you weren't You guys get closer again. Mm -hmm. You had went over and then I took over the canoe while and got it up on shore. And I'm a little bit ahead of you. I'd say 20 feet in front of you guys over on the right. 
and I mm-hmm. see that I'm not going to be able to steer against the current. And I see another tree coming my way. And in my mind, I had the right philosophy of I just need to kind of, not want to say hit the tree, but I need to just bounce into the tree, mm-hmm. use it to recorrect and go off of it. In my mind, I knew that was what I was supposed to do. But again, I'm brand new to kayaking. So I didn't execute this plan the best way. And I leaned the wrong way. And mm-hmm. even as I was going towards this tree, I half jokingly said, well, here she goes again, boys. And then that's when I flipped a kayak in this big. Yeah, yeah it was almost like a whirlpool situation. Of course, none of us wearing life jackets. Someone came out of there wearing a life jacket. Let me tell you something. Yeah. (laughs) So I get stuck in this situation and I'm trying to keep the kayak afloat because it's keeping me afloat because I'm in front of this tree. And finally, I just sit on the tree. Brian gets the kayak from me and hands it kind of over to you. Yeah, because I went in the whole time. Brian's yelling at me not to come in. in, Because the current's getting crazy. Because it's trying to suck towards a 12 to 15 foot hole. Yeah, but like also I'm confident in my swimming abilities, which is why I ignored his ass and did it twice. Yeah, I've been <laughs> told since then that I may be an okay swimmer, but I am not a good river swimmer. And I will I will agree that's mm-hmm. true. I've just never done it before. I don't think I'd ever swim in a river before Sunday. I'm a good swimmer overall, mm-hmm. even though despite my physical stuff and i also know how to like survive <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense i get up on the one tree we let we give you the kayak and then brian when he came over across the river brought another life jacket with him nope i brought oh, it you brought it okay i ran back onto the beach hauled ass so that's what my tracks were yeah i swam the life jacket over because i kept seeing you bob and i was like she's not making it she's not floating yeah that was what brian's original plan was is that if he just got me away from the tree that i would float over but i kept losing it because the current was pulling my legs there was no chance mm-hmm. i knew it from i didn't have to guess yeah so he gets me out of the one area and it sucks me over to another tree and I hit it really hard with my hip. The way I kind of slid into this tree, it was between two branches and one was all the way down the length of my body and I couldn't get up over it. Brian's sitting on this tree and going, you know, you need to get out. You need to get out of this. And I'm telling him I can't. And finally he like reaches under the water and feels what I'm feeling on my left side. And he feels over on my, my right side. And he's like, Eric, all you have to do is back up six inches and this part of the tree stops. So I backed out and at this point I had the life jacket on. That's what panicking does though. You don't think. Yeah. And the river is moving to my right anyway. So it doesn't matter that I'm stuck on the left. But all I could think is, is mm-hmm. I can't get up. Again, that's like I said, panicking. And if you haven't swam in a river or gotten stuck in a river, mm-hmm. you panic. Yeah. And it's just, it's cold and it's awful. And then after I got rid of the kayak, I think I swam back in for you and I caught you halfway. Yeah. So he got me out of the tree and mm-hmm. kind of pushed me against the current. So yeah. I would float in. He told me just to float mm-hmm. and then yeah you yeah. caught me across the way yeah and i towed you back in yeah i was getting worried like because also you were like slipping down in the in life, life vest jacket, and you're yeah. hyperventilating and oh my god just get on the fuck yeah. <laughs> i just wanted to pick you up and throw you <laughs> yeah yeah so we sat there for a little bit needless to say by the time all of that was over the glasses were intact the hat was gone. I handed you or Brian my hat. Someone had the hat, but it, sorry, we were more worried about you than the hat. At this point, I've lost my shirt, then I lost my hat. Except at this point, I am crying and I go, I just want to get back in the canoe. I don't want a kayak. But yeah, then the canoe flipped and I had to help Brian drag the canoe out, get the water out of the damn thing. Yeah, because I got carried way down. And then I kayaked 15 fucking miles almost. And it was exhausting. 
date. And I was never so happy to see someone at the end of a float trip to take us back to our cars. The last two miles of it, it was just two or three miles. It was just we'd go around another bend and think, is this the end? No. And it was just that continuously. And I went way out in front of you guys. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I got to get there before homeboy leaves because we were down to like 15 minutes of him leaving. So it was like 5.30, 5.35 or something. Yeah, it was too close for my comfort. But then we get into the 12 passenger van back to camp where we're parked and this this guy who's driving us back to camp and he is driving like a bat out of hell. You can tell he's driven this route 15 million times and we were mm-hmm. his last load of the day so he was just ready to get back and get off of work and the three mm-hmm. of us are just like... <laughs> Is this how it goes? We survived the river for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't get to say my highlight of the day. Please. My badass moment of the day, other than, you know, bringing a new alive fest. Yeah. Yeah. We are going down through there, and this is right before you guys flipped the canoe. There is a log that covered the extent of this river, and there was, like, a little, like, drop-off. Um, it wasn't, like, huge or anything, but something that even Brian was like, oh, God, she's going to flip the kayak. Mm-hmm. No, nah, man. I was like, okay, if I lean into it this way, just lean into it. Damn straight. I went over that. Not even a damn problem. Yeah. So that was my highlight of the day. Yeah, I often say to you, I wish my eyes were cameras because I want to be capturing everything that I can see, and I wish, mm-hmm. like, I could have captured because Brian and I had the perfect seat to like watch you go over this thing because you went over it kind of backwards too. It was sideways because it started sucking me sideways. That's right. That's right. It was really cool to watch. I managed to get the right at the end, get the front turned. Yeah. It was like Tokyo Drift. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So that was our weekend. (laughs) Yeah. PSA, always wear your life jacket, as I said on my Twitter. And even if you're a good swimmer or you think you're a good swimmer until you have swam in like a strong current, I don't think you know what you're up against. Yeah. I was talking with my Nana and my mother about this and they're like, well, everyone should have been wearing life jackets. And then I, I posed to them, I countered with, because Brian said the same thing. If Brian had been wearing his life jacket when I flipped the kayak the third time, he would not have been able to get over across to me. Yeah, no. He'd have just floated. Yeah. And that's my thing is it will keep you up if you need to float. Mm-hmm. But if you need to help somebody. It can also be a hindrance. Yeah. There is a reason why people who are lifeguards and stuff don't wear life jackets. It's like mm-hmm. you can't move. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to get to you, swim across with a life jacket, get a kayak, and then go back in for you with a life vest mm-hmm. on. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. For the time being, I will always uh, be wearing a life jacket. <laughs> Which is not a problem because you're not going to be going across the river to save anybody. <laughs> like, Nope. That's not my job. My job's to yeah, stay no. with the boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of drowning, no. <laughs> so we started Sharp Objects. How are you feeling about it? So far, I don't want to say I love it yet. That's very strong. I'm enjoying it a lot. You could love it. Yeah. There's still so much that I don't know. This show isn't like a show I've seen before. And it's very much like we've watched a movie after another, you mm-hmm. know? So it's just a lot mm-hmm. to take in, make sure I'm processing it. That's how I felt about the book too. Yeah. I've never really read another book quite like it, even since. And that's saying something. It is like watching a movie. It's so elevated in my mind because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that is just me being attached to it or because it has actually that good. But it does make me feel a little bit better that you're saying it's not like something you've watched before. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything. The only thing I'm getting frustrated with, and it's only because I'm impatient, it isn't a fault with the uh-huh. show. It's it's one of my own personal flaws, is there is so much just information, and we'll get into it obviously, but there's so much information that when Camille comes home that she just knows. And Mm -hmm. you're privy to the information because you've read it and watched it already. And Mm -hmm. I'm 
the outsider trying to figure it all out and piece it together. So I'm just ready to get to the point where I know what's going on. They explain it. Like, of course, we learned about Alice, which is the girl that she was seeing. So you are going to get explanations for these Mm -hmm. things. But the way they do it is very clever, where she'll have these flashes, like her brain is running a million miles an hour. And she's seeing all these different things and like thinking about all this stuff. And then she starts drinking and then she comes back. Yeah. And we see like what she's doing, which is really fascinating explanation for like anxiety and just being overwhelmed and traumatized. Uh, You're getting a lot of information from her past through her racing thoughts Mm -hmm. and the way they depict that on screen is really good. Yeah. But you have to wait and finish the series or the book to know what is actually at hand in the present. I don't want to tarnish the show. I don't think you're meant to enjoy it. Not enjoy. I I don't want to say that because I am enjoying it. But I don't think Mm. you're supposed to... I'm just going to say it and realize what it sounds like. I don't think you're meant to fully enjoy the show the first time around. I think you're meant to ingest the show the first time around. Okay. Come back and watch it a second time. And then you go, oh, I caught this this time and this leads into this. And now I understand this, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like I'm enjoying it. I don't want to say that I'm not, but. Yeah. I watched this show the first time after reading the full book Mm -hmm. right after. So I had ingested the book, digested it, cried about it, talked about it with Tanner's mom. It was a really good time. Then I watched the series and I was like, they did this so well. Yeah. Like almost every change they made to make it a visual story i approve of Mm -hmm. like hiding these little words throughout that will disappear in the very next scene where in the book camille will reference to where they are on her body or the time that she cut them into her body Mm -hmm. because she is a self-harmer trigger warning for self-harm we're gonna be talking about it a lot yeah (laughs) i would agree with what you're saying and i don't think that's a tarnish on the show i think that's just saying that there's so much depth to mm-hmm. it. I agree with that. It's like watching some movies go back again and you're like, oh my God, like I picked all this up or you reading a good book, you know, that you enjoyed. Actually, I do know it's not the same premise at all, but it's the same idea as far as, yes, you enjoy it when you watch it, but the first time you watch the film Dunkirk, I don't know if you saw that. I haven't seen it, no. It's not really my style, so. It's... It's very, very long for one. Two, there's not many words spoken. You're watching the story be told. You don't Mm -hmm. get told the story. It's a Christopher Nolan film. In it, there are three different timelines happening at the same time Mm -hmm. as these soldiers are trying to get off the beach. And Mm -hmm. you get the timeline of two pilots that are in the sky. You get the timeline of the soldiers on the beach. And then you get the timeline of all the civilians who drove their own boats across the channel to try and save these soldiers themselves all these fishermen and stuff Mm -hmm. they're all happening kind of at different times like one's 18 hours before one's like during and one's like a different time and then towards Uh the end they all collide you see how it all played out and it's something to really behold Uh but the first time i mean i've only seen it the one time because it isn't something that you just sit down and go man i really want to watch dunkirk right now <laughs> um, Brian and yeah. I saw it on an IMAX. I think we saw it in the IMAX uh-huh. and just really got the experience of like watching it. And Christopher Nolan isn't a brand new director, so obviously, but you get the you just felt like tension in the entire room of uh-huh. wait, what's going on? And you have to remember because uh-huh. it only shows the timeline on the screen the first time you meet the Eesh. soldiers or this or this. You physically hear a watch ticking the whole time. Uh-huh. It's actually Christopher's watch. Like he recorded his watch ticking. You feel everything happening and you're like, what the fuck is going to happen? And I think if I were to sit down and watch it a second time, it would be a lot more enjoyable to know like, okay, uh-huh. this is going to lead into this. You're not having to figure it out. You can just uh-huh. watch it. So 
Exactly. And this, I feel like, builds tension as well. Because mm-hmm. I feel like we're on that climb right now. Yeah. Shit's about to break loose on the second half, I yeah, will tell you. I can it tell. is about to get batshit insane. It builds suspense very well. I think it tells her story. And also, it's not as thorough as the book in showing why she's so messed up and why she self-harms and why she hates coming home. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty dang close. Yeah. It ain't eight-hour miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm so glad they made this a miniseries and not a movie. Yeah. The same director that did this did Big Little Lies, which is another great show that I really enjoy. But that's another story. So I know this director, when I saw that he's the one that did it, I was like, thank God. Like, you know, <laughs> this is going to be great. And it was. Yeah, I guess we can just go ahead and get into it. Episode one, Vanish, which I would just like to say that all of these um, episode titles are things that she has cut into herself. She is a self-armor. She does cut and she cuts words particularly into herself. Camille Preaker, as we mentioned, is portrayed, I think we said portrayed by Amy Adams. Maybe we didn't. We did not. (laughs) (laughs) My head hurts, man. This is such a different role than I've seen her in. in. She is a St. Louis-based reporter and she's struggling with alcoholism and self-harm, as you've said. At the beginning, we see that she is on her way to work and she's starting to already have some flashbacks about her troubled childhood in the small town of Wingap, Missouri. I even asked you because I was like, I don't really know Missouri Mm -hmm. geography well, which is sad because I've lived here for seven years now but i was like is this a fictional town or a real place and you're like no no it's fictional i'm like okay cool 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 but also could have been where i grew up so like uh. (laughs) her editor at the paper frank curry who i am so intrigued by you said he's more prevalent in the show than he is in the book right there's still something that we don't know about him, I think. Yeah, we get a lot more behind the scenes with Curry than we do in the book because the book is all from Camille's point of view. So, of course, she's not going to know what's going on with Curry back home. Right. Other than the phone calls. I'm very intrigued to see what's going on there. Obviously, I don't think okay. he contributes to the main thing, but... He's very integral to her well-being. To her, yes. I don't count him as a suspect for murder, though, is what I meant. Like... Could be. Interesting. Uh, So yeah, Frank orders her to go back to Wingap where a a 13-year-old girl, Anne Nash, was murdered the previous summer and another 14-year-old girl, Natalie Keene, is currently missing. Wouldn't that be some shit if Frank went to her hometown, did all this, and came back and was like, let's see, she figures it out. One clever thing, I don't know if you caught it, on her way out of St. Louis, there was a road sign that says, last chance to change your mind Mm -hmm. for the exit. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, cool. I went, me too, bro. (laughs) Oh, we've all been there. As she's going back home, all of these flashbacks start coming back. We see young Camille with her sister Marion roller skating down the roads. Most of her flashbacks are with Marion. Mm-hmm. The happy flashbacks, at least, even if they are bittersweet. Marion seems, from what we know with these flashbacks, she was kind of sickly and also not around anymore. So we're going to assume that she died very mm-hmm. young. All of these flashbacks of her hometown growing up start coming over her. She ends up staying at a hotel for the first night. And then the next night showing up at her mother, Adora Krellen, her house. And she's like the star of this town. She's the richest person. She owns the big hog butcher factory. It's been in her family for generations. So they got all the money. They got the biggest house. She's basically royalty in this town. That house is gorgeous though. It is. Isn't it beautiful? It is exactly what I pictured it from the books, too. She has a stepfather named Alan, and then she also has a half-sister who is a teenager named Amma. But we don't think we've met her yet, but we have. Amma's been kind of keeping tabs on Camille and running into her in town while she's been bopping about, digging up some clues 
the previous day, but has never said, oh, hey, yeah, no, I'm Emma. I'm your sister, which is a little sus, but like, you know, whatever. Teenagers are weird. After talking to her mother and her mother asking, you know, what's wrong? Why have you come back to our town? Are you pregnant? That kind of attitude. And she's like, no, mom, I'm just here reporting on the girls for my job. And I don't want to know anything about those girls. Oh, dead little girls just break my heart. She's so offended the entire gap that we've watched so far. Oh, yeah. She is so offended that that Camille is looking into the deaths of these girls, which you would think someone wanting to get justice for these girls, you would want that. Mm -hmm. Especially since Adora had been tutoring them and was very close with them. Yeah. But anyways, Camille then, during a search party, they're combing the woods to see if they can find Natalie. She bumps into an old friend of her mom's, Jackie O'Neill, who is very southern and very like, I got spike sweet tea in the cooler if you want some, girl. While she's providing refreshments for the fellas that are out there looking for little Natalie Keene. <laughs> Camille is very fond of Jackie. You can tell that upon them meeting. She's more a mother figure than her own mother. Yes. So she then meets uh, a detective, Willis. Doesn't really turn up much. They comb the woods. Nothing came of it. So then she goes to talk to Bob Nash about the disappearance and the murder of his daughter, Anne. And let me tell you, homeboy is an odd duck. He invites her to his bedroom to talk about it, which is very odd. Because his other kids are eating. Yeah, but like you have a porch. <laughs> yeah. Frank, there is a quote here about uh, him giving her some flavor aid, if you know what I'm saying. That took a turn for weird. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, random uh, reporter lady. You want to talk in the bedroom with your Kool-Aid glass? <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid, lady. Oh, shit. That's how you end up in a cult. <laughs> she did it. She put it down. She said, nope. Thanks. So Camille doesn't get a lot of information about Bob's daughter. I mean, she does, but she doesn't. He's, like you said, yeah. very odd. He's kind of all over the place. Drunk. <laughs> yeah. He also reveals that he was out of town when Anne went missing. Yeah, I thought it was very odd because she asked like, oh, I would love to talk to her about this. And he mm. said, oh, she never forgave herself over it. And I thought, surely this means like she killed herself. And he's like, but she's at the store right now. I'm like, oh, this didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Like, yeah, but also we don't see her. So like, where is she? Yeah. They get interrupted by one of Bob's other children. And that kind of cuts the conversation short. Camille's walking through town. She's in the town square as she sees Natalie's brother sitting on a park bench and some of the other teen girls, Emma and her friends, and they're kind of playing with the mementos that have been left behind at a, like, a vigil for Natalie. Mm -hmm. Camille is really upset that they're messing with this stuff, and they're like, oh, it's fine. We were friends. We just wanted something to remember her by. And her brother, John, is right here, and, you know, if he had a problem with it, he would say something. And John mm -hmm. is very quiet to himself. He's very distraught by the whole thing that his sister's missing. He's basically disassociating. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. And then they hear two people over in an alleyway start screaming. And so Camille runs over and they find that Natalie has been dumped in this kind of window. Yeah. She's dead and has been dead for a little while by the looks of her. She's extremely dirty and all of her teeth have been removed. Which, my God. The police work in this town. The sheriff wanders over, moseys over, which is different from the detective. Sheriff Vickery is the local town chief of police. Camille tried to talk to him, but he blew her off. Yeah, he's a dick. Yeah, he walked over, just touched on her, looked in her mouth without gloves on or booties or anything. There's an elderly couple that had found the body crying in the alleyway, just contaminating the crime scene all to hell. And Frank, there's a quote here. <laughs> 
You know what? Let's just finger fuck the crime scene, cry all over it, rub some DNA on him. Just liquor while you're there. Why don't you? Great police work. <laughs> Great police work, sir. Have you also pulled out some hair, sprinkled it on top like sprinkles? Thank you. Yeah, it's horrific. It is horrific. Yeah. I just wanted to mention the alley was behind the police station, so it was natural that he was there. Yeah, and it's very out in the open. Look at me, look what I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. As Camille said later on, look at me, win gap, look what I can do. Mm -hmm. After this, Emma and Camille go home and they're talking about their middle sister, Marion. This is the little girl in the flashbacks we've been seeing. We find out that she had died when Camille was younger and Emma then confides to Camille because Camille's always been described as dangerous and a willful child that Emma's really unhappy with how her mother tends to Emma. She's trying to break her, basically. And so that forces her to hide another side of her normal side or as Adora puts it, her rebellious side, which is basically not letting Adora dress her up like a little doll and sneaking out to parties, and kissing boys and that kind of thing. Drinking. And drinking and driving the golf cart. <laughs> And Camille really gets this because Adora was always doting over Marion and always acted like Camille was the devil because she was from her previous relationship and not Alan's child. Mm. The episode closes with Camille drawing a bath in the most beautiful clawfoot tub in this most beautiful bathroom. In this, uh, in this most beautiful house, yeah, in the most beautiful place. <laughs> and as she's sinking into the tub, it's revealed that not only has she carved the word vanish into her arm, but she's got words carved all over her body. And I'm going to ask you that because I even told you I'm a little confused. She had words covering every square inch of her body, basically. Even her back. Uh-huh. How? Mirror. That's a lot of work. I mean, obviously they were perfect because a makeup artist did yeah. it. That's what yeah. I say. That was a little far-fetched to be like, they looked yeah. exactly the same as everywhere else where she could physically see and reach and not be mm -hmm. using a mirror. She also had just some cuts, I think, on her back. Not just words. Maybe, yeah. It was candlelight in that bathroom, so hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I do know in the book she does have scars covering like every square inch mm -hmm. of her. Not all words, but a lot of words. Gotcha. Episode two, dirt. Detective Richard wonders why Anne was found in the woods in the same location where she was murdered, but Natalie was discovered posed on display just like a doll sitting in the middle of town with her teeth yanked out with pliers. And he also is wondering how much strength this would take, which later leads homeboy to get a pig head from the local butcher and start yanking teeth, which Frank, there's a quote here of me. I hate teeth. I hate teeth. I hate it. I don't. Do teeth, I don't do teeth, I don't do teeth, I don't do teeth, fuck that shit, fuck that shit, teeth, no, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, teeth. Thank you very much, I think we can all agree. I don't do teeth. I don't do teeth either. I don't, dentists are actual sociopaths, I'm convinced. If you can pull a tooth, there's something mentally wrong with you. I have uh, to go to the dentist next week. Have fun, bitch! So... <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, he, he concludes that this takes a lot of force because it's even difficult for him to pull these teeth out of at least a boar head. So he knows it's probably difficult to pull it out of a little girl's face, too. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be completely honest. So Camille sees Richard taking soiled samples from Bob Nash's tires. I either mm -hmm. miss this, don't understand this. I mean, I understand the importance of taking soil because they're trying to figure out where Bob has been, but I don't remember how the events of that played out. It's when she is driving through town, she sees the detective bent over behind Bob Nash's car and catches a glimpse of him scraping the tire and then getting up and like casually walking away really quickly. 
mm-hmm. while a crowd is diverted elsewhere. Is that for the funeral at their house? Yes, I think it was at the funeral. Whenever she left early, she saw him outside taking the dirt off of his tires. Yeah, and at this funeral, I mean, they had the whole actual... It was a memorial service because they couldn't bury her yet. Right, but they did do a thing at the church and then they had people over. I mean, the whole town congregated at the house. Mm -hmm. Which Bob got kicked out after. Yeah, but Camille's walking through the house and she lets herself into Natalie's room. She sees that Natalie's room is painted purple and that she's kind of got like dark decorations and such and that she collects a bunch of bugs like spiders yeah she really likes spiders bugs skateboards very tomboy uh-huh but at the funeral her mother described her as being like very sweet and girly and stuff which was very odd she also mentioned tomboy yeah but not as much as other things which camille sussed out later on right after seeing her room camille is still trying to find her way in to be able to talk with the parents and with the brother john so she picks up a jar that natalie's got a tarantula in and she brings it up back and she releases it and she realizes that Natalie's father is sitting there. They talk. She says that she released a tarantula because she didn't want the tarantula to starve. Basically the dad was talking about how she loved spiders and she was such a willful child and she and John were very close and just that he thinks this whole thing was kind of a farce. He and the mother are divorced and he's sitting outside drinking away from everyone else Mm -hmm. and basically just paints a more clear picture of Natalie. Yeah. Closer to the one that John will paint later on, but not what the mother and Adora wanted the people to see. Right. So Adora actually, whenever Camille goes back to replace the spider jar, catches Camille in Natalie's room and she is just appalled because of course she is. It's Adora. Mm. And how can you just walk into a little dead girl's room? What would the parents think if they saw you in here? Just choose her out. Camille finishes her drink, slams it down on her dresser and then leaves. Storms out. And then later on, Marion's room. Camille goes in and she sees that basically Adora has kept Marion's room as a shrine to her. It has not changed since the day Marion died. Her clothes are still laid out on the bed. She keeps a light on. The IV pole is still in there. It's so messed up. Mm. She just continues to belittle Camille, who she accuses of being an embarrassment to the entire family via the investigation. A boil on the butt of this family, if you will. Yeah, just wants her to call the whole thing off. But also at the same time, she keeps telling, don't tell me anything that you find. But also, like, I'm going to keep bringing it up because Mm -hmm. of reasons. Camille thinks Natalie's older brother, he's a high school senior. His name is John. He's the one that we mentioned earlier. Very quiet. He really stands out in Wind Gap because he's very emotional and very visibly emotional about his sister's death. Then later on, just while going back to where Natalie had been originally thought to have been taken, she sees two little boys out there playing to which they let her know that there was a quote unquote woman in white who took Natalie. Into the woods. Which apparently is some kind of town legend because as soon as the boy mentioned it to her, she knew what he was talking about. Which that doesn't really sound like a teenage boy necessarily if it's a, again, woman in white Mm. whisking this child away. This leads Camille to go talk to the little boy who claims to have seen this. He gives her some details, but not really. She sees him playing with a gun and talks to his mom about it. And the mom's like, what are you gonna do? Tell on us? And mom obviously doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I think the mother was also sickly. You could tell this is a poor family too, so. And whenever Camille tried to get a quote from her for the investigation, she asked her to pay her for it. And Camille's like, I can't pay you 
for information. <laughs> She's like, then I can't talk. Yeah. So this leads Camille back to the police station to talk with Chief Vickery. And he employs that the boy who saw this is, quote, trash and can't be trusted. Camille says, well, you know, when we were children, we would scare each other with stories about the woman in white abducting children. But Vickery and Richard, the detective, still insist that Natalie and Anne had to have been murdered by a man. Which I only say this because it is brought up multiple times. Neither of the girls were assaulted sexually, Mm -hmm. molested in any way, but they still are looking for a man. I think this is what's raising Camille's eyebrow at a woman in white. The kids weren't assaulted sexually. So yeah. Which Richard chalks that up to, oh, well, taking their teeth is the same kind of release as a sexually charged crime. He sees it as the same thing. Holding power over another. But I don't think Camille sees it like that. I think she's still trying to keep more of an open mind. She's still brand new on the case. Adora then accuses Camille once she gets home after a long day trying to solve the murder of two little baby children girls that you were drunk at Natalie's funeral. Camille's like, bro, it's Windcap. Everybody's drunk at that funeral. Don't give me that bullshit Mm -hmm. then says that the reason that adora took care of natalie and tutored her and everything was because natalie reminded her of camille when she was young and that she wanted to try to help natalie so she didn't end up like camille which is so messed up we'll we'll see more about how adora cannot handle the fact that camille has harmed herself in the next half yeah so buckle up for that we'll be right back after a quick break Episode three, fix. This is one of the hardest episodes for me to watch. Yeah, I can see that. So we see that the teenagers, Emma and all of her friends and some other kids from the school are all partying out kind of near the area, right? Where Natalie mm-hmm. was, was rumored to have been taken. They're out towards the woods. Yeah. You see that they're drinking and just having a good old time. And I know for a fact that I understand that Emma has a curfew. Has that been in place for the whole town that the ki- children need to be yes. at home? Okay, so there is a, a curfew in place by town. And obviously all of these children are breaking curfew to be out partying as you do because what else is there to do in a small town with no walmart or even if you got a walmart other than you know do math have sex in bushes and drink so vickery pulls up to the spot where everyone's partying and gets over his loudspeaker in his car and goes (laughs) isn't this a shit ton of stupid you know everyone goes home and doesn't bust anybody he just lets them go on home so Emma comes home camille looks out a window and sees Emma driving a golf cart and crashing into her mother's rose bushes. Drunker than a skunk. Oof. So she helps <laughs> Emma in. Is that when Emma like sits on her bed and they talk about them being yeah. sisters and Emma like hanging all over her? Mm-hmm. She's just so infatuated with Camille because she's... She doesn't know her. Yeah, and she's this person that her mom said was so bad, which I think Emma sees that part of her mm-hmm. too, even though she tries to present a good front for her mother, but she sees Camille and herself yeah. and she identifies with her. She ends up putting her to bed, giving her some Tylenol, and it's all good. Gets back to her article. Which I will say, in the previous episode, she did submit part of the article, which she kind of lied to Curry and said that she totally had permission to go into Natalie's room when she did not. So that may or may not come into play later. So Camille then starts flashing back again. We get a lot of, like I said earlier, story in broken pieces by Camille's racing thoughts. Mm -hmm. What she sees from the past and what she thinks she sees in the current, but are just figments of her imagination slash anxiety. We see her flashback to when she was in a psychiatric facility. It was 
so fucking sad to see her sit outside of that facility, finish drinking, take one last cut, and then go in. I've always referred to cutting as an addiction. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time in media I've actually seen that represented. It's something you think about constantly. It's just like taking that last drink before you check yourself in to the drunk tank. It's the same mental illness. There, she's checked in, and she ends up sharing a room with this very young girl named Alice, who is played by Sydney Sweeney, the love of my life. I know I say that about a bunch of people, but she is beautiful. Beautiful and so talented. They become fast friends and Alice shows Camille how to escape and get out of here by listening to music that she borrows from the phone up at the front desk using headphones. We've seen this phone multiple times throughout the series. Camille has listened to it all the way down here whenever she's feeling too stressed. So we know this phone came from Alice. Mm. But then Alice ends up committing suicide after meeting her family and it's just too much for her to bear. Camille right before this goes out and gets the music to try to calm her down but when Camille goes back to return the phone and make a phone call she comes back and Alice has committed suicide by drinking poison. This triggers and devastates Camille. Gut-riching. It's horrific. She ends up getting a bolt off of the toilet and self-harming again very violently before she is taken away by orderlies. Yeah. And that's where the word fix comes from. Yeah. Because this is something she cannot fix. It cuts back to the present where Camille's interviewing Bob Nash in his bedroom again and <laughs> Bob totally thinks John Keane was involved. His whole idea is that John abducted his daughter, killed her, and then killed his sister to cover his tracks. Which... Even though no one was looking at him for the other killing, so why? <laughs> yeah. Vickery calls Adora because he's having Nash trailed and he sees that Camille's mm-hmm. over there. They report that Camille's over there. So Adora just shows up at the Nash home bust in well it has the child knock on the door but basically they bust in <laughs> yeah basically she just starts fussing at camille camille's not actually doing anything but comforting bob but she kicks camille out of there camille isn't pushing hard no she was being very careful about it yes. she's not some heartless person she's there to do her job Adora tells camille that the interview is over sends camille out of the house and then she really starts comforting bob she puts her arms around and apologizes super super hard yeah just over the top adora bullshit yeah we meet john's girlfriend a cheerleader named ashley wheeler uh-huh. and she arranges for for camille to be able to interview john so camille goes over to interview john john doesn't really have a lot to say except for the fact that he hates this town he blames the town for his sister being murdered that if they would have just stayed in philadelphia that nothing would have ever happened to her and he Mm -hmm. fully believes that bob nash is involved so they're kind of pointing the finger at each other yeah one's a drunk one's just a dude that's too emotional about it i say too emotional quote unquote as in traditional Mm -hmm. male stereotype bullshit this interview is actually i think what convinces camille that he did not commit the crime yeah I would like to say earlier, the reason she met up with Ashley is because this was at the funeral and she said that she could get John to talk away from his mom and parents and everything. He doesn't even live with his parents anymore, we find out. He's actually living over at Ashley's in the carriage house, Mm -hmm. which I thought was so funny because Ashley is kind of, again, putting Camille on a pedestal because, oh, you used to be the lead cheerleader, right? Oh, I'm on the chair team now. You were a senior. My older sister was a freshman. Freshman. Yeah. And so whenever Camille comes over to talk to them, she's in her cheerleading uniform even though Camille's like I thought summer like school was out oh I just get spirited sometimes Mm -hmm. 
What? Excuse me? Ma'am? After all this has gone down, we cut back over to the house and we see Vickery has stopped by to talk to Adora about everything that's going on because she owns the town and she owns the sheriff, basically. So he's got to keep her filled in on what's going on. She has a conversation with him. You can tell that he comes over a lot because she tells Gala, their housemaid, who I would just like to say is African-American. What? Uh. Is she the only African-American we've seen in the whole show so far? I think so, yes. And they allude to all the Hispanic workers as slurs. Yes. The Hispanic workers work at the butcher, the butchering factory, which it is heavily inferred that one of them is probably the killer because, you know, they're Hispanic and they butcher hogs. So that's not much of a jump to butcher a little girl. Mm -hmm. Like what? Anyways, but she tells Gala to bring the sheriff his usual. So we know that he comes by a lot, but they have a discussion about how Adora says that she's so sorry for her daughter's actions and like irresponsibility to which Vickery says, oh, which one? Yeah, that's when Vickery drops you. Yeah, and Adora's like, excuse me? (laughs) And Vickery tells her that he caught Emma out after curfew and she screams for Amma to come downstairs and Vickery's like, listen, no, it's nothing like that. Like, just let it go. But Adora ends up warning Amma that Camille is dangerous and stay away from her and be very careful because she thinks Camille is the one who's causing Amma to go off the rails all of a sudden. Because, you know, Amma isn't like rebellious as a 13 year old on her own. So Richard is very frustrated because Vickery is giving him nothing to work on. He's also belittling his belief that the murderer is probably someone within the town, a local, maybe even someone revered. Camille keeps pressuring him for information. They run into each other at the bar and around town and he finally just tells her, listen, can you just get out of my way? I'm done with you. I don't want talk to you you're just gonna print something and ruin everything get away as you mentioned earlier it's revealed in this episode that adoran also knew Anne and tutored Anne as well so she knew both of the girls that have been murdered camille ends up attending a luncheon in the place of her mother because her mother cut her hand in the last episode from trying to fix the rose bushes that amma crashed into and she just can't go her her hands given her fits which we saw Alan wrap her hand like she had put it in a meat grinder. He's just very doting and very passive to her aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just letting you know what's going on there. But she attends this luncheon with Jackie to substitute her mother, where they discuss Bob Nash and John Keane. Of course, all the women are just vipers and they talk trash about everybody. I remember this, this part very vividly in the book. We find out a little bit more about Adora when they're talking behind her back, but nothing too crucial. Just that, yeah, she got pregnant when she was younger. No one knows Camille's father. It was this whole cover up and that also Adora's mom was meaner than sin. So yeah, just for some filling in some blanks. So after that, she shows Richard around numerous crime scenes with the intention that if she shows him crime scenes from the past in this town, that he'll reveal some information for her. She takes him around to this hunting shed, which we've seen previously in flashbacks. There was a lot of very violent porn images hung in this shed and it was known for where these two little girls would play which even Richard points out this is a very odd spot for two little girls to play. Camille explains that it's also in these woods it's called the end zone because this is where high school jocks would quote unquote have their way with that week's lucky cheerleader. I think it's very interesting how he's very appalled by this but Camille has repressed this 
so hard that she's kind of tried to take power over the situation. It's very messed up, her view of it. And it's also very messed up in the book, too. He asks if it ever happened to her. And she said that she doesn't want to reveal that information because he'll think poorly or differently of her. Yeah. And they talk about double standards. If a guy has sex with five different girls, he's a hero. And if a girl does it, she's a slut or she she deserves to be taken pity upon. Yeah. Throughout this, we could obviously see that it was not consensual because she's poking at bugs with a stick whenever these boys come up upon her. Mm -hmm. She kind of recognizes what's about to happen. And so she just kind of disassociates and just keeps poking the stick on the ground. Yeah. It's really sad. And it happened on her birthday as well. So yeah, the flashback as we're leading into it, the flashback shows that she's out in the woods being chased by the group of boys. They have this conversation about double standards and she starts to walk off and he calls her back. Uh, Richard calls her back and Richard moves in to kiss her and she pulls back. And I'm thinking like, wow, like he's tr- he's being really forward with her. <laughs> just you wait, girl. <laughs> exactly. Just you wait. All right. Because she's got a button fly. So she uh-huh. unbuttons her pants and she shoves his hand down the front of her pants and just lets him go to town on her. And you and yeah. I were just like looking at other screen, like looking at, like not watching and not talking. <laughs> and I was like, you know, actually I need to comment on how badass this is because (laughs) you don't see that like normally it'd be like you want to go down on me girl like "Mm." yeah but that's also her taking again control of Of the the situation situation. yeah and changing the narrative of what happened to her in the woods yeah exactly so she now has the power in the end zone when she did not before yeah they continue around and ultimately brings her home and the two of them kiss outside of her mother's house he goes now you kiss me i know i love that (laughs) and then she just is like and walks inside it's so cute yeah emma is revealed to have created some nasty posters of John Keane with his teeth pulled out. Saying karma's a bitch or something. Yeah, karma's a bitch on the bottom and they're giggling about this in Ayama's room whenever Camille pops in to check on her. It's such mean teenage girl bullcrap. Then we cut and we see that John has been fired from his job at Adora's hog factory because of the rumors that are swirling. And of course, Adora stuck her nose in where it does not belong. So he's also lost his job over this, which is really, really sad. We find out that there's this tradition in the town of this holiday or something called Calhoun Day and that it's been held at Adora's family home for the past 50 years, if not longer. Mm-hmm. And Emma is at school practicing for a play for Calhoun Day. And it's all about how women taught themselves to shoot and fight for their own independence or something because mm-hmm. the soldiers in the Civil War weren't going to be able to hold their own. And her teacher's like, this is not how it went down. Women didn't do this. And she's like, well, my mama said women have to write their own history and blah 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 and I'm like Adora didn't teach you that you're full of shit. The teacher kind of storms out and she follows him out and they're talking about it for a little while and then she starts flirting with him. He doesn't seem to be receptive to the flirting. As far as I can tell for right now it's it was a very yeah. quick scene I'm sure we find out more but she reaches out and holds his hand for a moment and she lets the moment hang and then he shakes her hand off and walks off when I think the bell rings or something. He squints at her while he's smoking a cigarette and then like shakes her off and walks in really quickly. Yeah. Book Adora and show Adora I feel like I could see her telling Emma that. Oh, really? Yeah. Out of all Adora's faults, she is not a women need to be subservient to men kind of lady. Mm-hmm. She is a very, I own the city. I own the town. I will fire the sheriff if he does not get and do what I want him to do. I can see Do that. not mess with me. She is very cutthroat. And just on the topic of Calhoun Day, Vickery shows back up at the house. But he is dressed to the nines. He brought his dogs in the back of the truck. He's got his doggies in the back. Badge like it's attached. Yeah. And he rolls up <laughs> in to Adora's house. 
Yeah. I believe Emma answers the door. Alan's also there and Alan says, no, she's resting. You know, you can't visit her right now. And Emma calls for Adora and says that Chief Vickery's there and Adora comes out of her bedroom and just like glides halfway down the stairs and is nighty like floor length nighty and high heels in high fucking heels frank there's a quote here you had time to fucking put those high heels on right hold on let me get my nipples hard and these high heels on so i can walk downstairs Ooh. oh 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 and i gotta curl my hair real quick and who comes out of bed looking like that the hell thanks so he is there to ask her to reconsider still holding Calhoun Day in the midst of everything. And she relates to him that it's a tradition that they're going to do it. She's not canceling her plans just because he wants her to. Then he says that it's a public safety issue. He can issue an order to make her stop. Yeah. To which then she responds with, yes, you can do that. And I can also pick a new chief. Yeah. Let's play ball. So that's why I'm saying she's very cutthroat. She has the power in her relationship. Alan is very non-existent. In the book, he's even more non-existent. At one point when he's tending to her hand, he asks if he should stay with her that night. And she says, no, I don't think that'll be necessary. And after this Vickery visit, he gets pissed. Yeah. Alan snaps at Adora after all of this because she gives more affection to the civil servants than she does her own husband. She brushes him off and basically says, go play with your records and leave me alone. And goes up to her bedroom. Later on, we see him drinking, pull out a gun... And we see more dark side of Alan because then he, at the end of the episode, menacingly goes into her bedroom in a very threatening fashion, Mm. which is something to note. Oh, I noted it because at some point Richard, I believe Richard and Camille had the conversation. Maybe it was Richard and Vickery had the conversation that most likely whoever's doing this is someone who doesn't have power and Uh is doing this to feel power. So I've been making notes of everyone that I think looks suspicious. Okay, cool. We on that after we finish this. So later that night, Camille ends up going out with Richard. And they go drinking. Uh, She also has a short dialogue with John Keane at the bar. John even buys her a drink. They have a little dialogue together. And this just further confirms to Camille. And she does tell John, I don't think you killed her. If that makes a difference. I'm sorry my mom fired you. That really sucks. So they go out, her and the detective. And they're laying on the hood of his car. And they're drinking and sharing war stories. And then comes pulling up Emma, her girls. Her bitch pack, as I like to call them. And the boys chasing them in the truck while they're on roller skates. Emma and her bitch pack go everywhere on roller skates. And she comes up, like, sucking on blow pops. You can tell she's kind of tipsy at this point already in the night. And they pull up and they joke, oh, Camille and Dick. She calls the detective Dick all the time. Sitting in a tree, F-U-C-K-I-N-G. And they all laugh. And then she ends up putting her sucker in Camille's hair. And she's being mean. Just mean. Belittling Richard, the detective, of course. And then finally they take off. Camille says, I'm gonna walk. Screw this. I'm pissed. So she walks it off and she goes back to her car. It's, again, just flashes of things. Flashes of Alice. Flashes of Emma. Flashes of the roller skating. Flashes of the dead girl. She goes back home. Adora meets her in the doorway and talks to her about how much of a disappointment she is. And she then informs her that she smells, quote unquote, ripe, as in alcohol. But 
with all of the sexual assault undertones of this episode, I feel like that has a double meaning, especially in the book. And then Camille just storms off to her room. She's done with this. Yeah. So while Camille was in the bar um, earlier in the evening when she was still just talking with John, he reveals to her that Emma was actually close friends with Anne and Natalie, that the three of them were inseparable. They went everywhere together. In fact, they often hung out in that weird hunting shed in the woods. We found out about Emma's little bit of a mean streak in this episode, which teenage girl stuff, they're going to be mean. It is what it is. But Natalie has an even darker side. Turns out the reason they had to leave Philadelphia is because a little girl took her pencil. And how did Natalie respond? Just like any of us would. She stabbed that little bitch right in the eye (laughs) with that pencil. She said, oh, you want it? Here, have it. (laughs) So yeah, when Camille returns back to the house after having the little tiff with her mother, she walks in. As she's walking to her room, she opens the door to check on Emma. And of course, Emma's not there. This puts Camille in a full on panic. She runs out to her car and starts driving the streets. And as you said, she's starting to have flashes of Alice. She's also starting to have visions of Emma dead in the hunting shed. And the episode yeah. ended with Emma coming up in headlights, right? Yes, I think so. I could, I wasn't sure if that was actually happening or if that was her visions of stuff happening. I don't know. We'll find out in the next episode. So yeah, I'm glad that you're liking this a lot more than Harper's Island. I got a little nervous. Yeah. I think you'll like the resolution of this much better. So who are your suspects right now? Well, everyone's your a suspect, suspect at this point. Like, obviously, like, Camille didn't do it. Who's your top three? I'll put it that way. I got my eye on Alan. I got my eye mm-hmm. on Emma somehow. Okay. Why just three? Because it's going to be Alan, Emma, and Adora. I don't trust none of them. Uh, <laughs> three A's of this town. I don't trust any of them. You can do top four, then. Give me one more. And Bob's a little weird. Bob? You really think Bob did it? No. Some dude named Bob? Can you I imagine don't... being murdered by somebody named Bob? I'd kill him first and then kill myself. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Okay, answer me this. And don't tell me, but don't answer okay. who. We have okay. met the murderer. Yes. Okay. So it's not like, oh, I haven't met them yet. That's why I don't know who it is. Yeah. Oh. Either either Bob ooh, or the teacher could be an interesting one. Because he kind of seems like he's a little down on his luck. But I'm also used to seeing that actor clean shaven. <laughs> And looking not like someone who just drudged themselves out of the muck. Like he just flipped a kayak three times, yeah. <laughs> and almost drowned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when he had the cigarette outside, he's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also is very tense at the school, so. Yeah. Every time I see him on the screen, I'm always like, Jackson Hurst, why do they do this to you? <laughs> Maybe there's a reason. All right, yeah. so your top four. Alan, Emma, Adora, Bob, or the teacher? I'll say... Kirk, the teacher. And I don't know for sure that I think Alan, Adora, or Emma actually went out and did it, but somehow Mm -hmm. I think they're tied into it. Okay. Is it in that order? I don't have an order. Okay. Okay, cool. Because Emma keeps running her mouth about how her friends will do anything she tells them to, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and Emma... But she could also be just trying to suck up to Camille and... But yeah. Okay, cool. Also, we forgot to mention, there is a creepy dollhouse that is the exact same replica as... Their house. Their house. Emma is like obsessed with this house. Same upholstery, same paint colors, same flooring. Because uh, Adora's room has this, it's very focused on, this isn't just random. Just how extravagant this house is. It has full ivory floors mm. in that bedroom. Yeah. Also, we see Curry at the end. He's hooked up to like a machine getting some kind of infusion treatment situation. Yeah, I wasn't happening. sure if it was a dialysis machine. I don't think it was dialysis necessarily, but I don't know. I don't remember. Because again, that wasn't really in the book. So, But yeah, so that's the first half of Sharp Objects. Are you excited to finish it? 
Yeah. I hated finishing the story because I just wanted it to keep going. Oh, no. I think this is the appropriate length for it. Yeah. I'm just saying because I loved it so much and I love Camille so much. I just want to keep seeing Camille. Yeah, I get that. But at the same something like this, you need mm-hmm. to wrap it up or otherwise you're oh, just yeah. drawing it out now, now, now. But anyways, I'll leave it at that. So yeah, if you like what you heard, you should follow us over on Instagram at bitchwatchpod. You can find me on Instagram at bean.buttrito. Uh, it's also Twitter, bitchwatchpod. And Witsy, where are you at? Twitter is EC underscore Witsy, W-H-I-T-Z-Y. Instagram is Witsy12. And then you can check out our lovely, lovely website, which I will be updating here soon for season two, sneaky, sneaky. Oh is bitchwatchpod.com. So yeah, if you can find our Twitter and or Instagram, you can find our website. Yeah. You should consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Or Podchaser. Or Podchaser. And just remember to make good choices. Don't murder little girls. No, because I don't want to say or don't and be smart about it. I don't don't like that. Sorry. All right. Remember to make good choices and and don't go back to your hometown. Or don't and be smart about it. That's a little better than dead girls. Yeah. Bye. (laughs) All right. Bye. Two bitches, yeah, two bitches, two bitches just watching TV. (laughs) Bitch.